0: Hi, everyone. This is Mark the Shark Retorto from the Mark the Shark MMA Show. You are about to listen to the 1-5 cast with Will Chase.
1: Thanks for taking the time to check out the 1-5 cast, where our episodes are fast on your time and filled with substance. Subscribe to our cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Instagram at the one Five Cast and follow our host, Will Chase, at DubChase on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce Mr. Ken Free Sr. He is an American pioneer. A short list of his accomplishments include serving in roles as the first full-time commissioner of the MEAC, first black appointed to the NCAA Basketball Selection Committee, commissioner of the Eastern Intercollegiate Athletic Athletic Association, known as the EAC. He was also a Negro League player, and he was also part of the New York Mets farm team. Mr. Free, once again, thank you for your time this morning. And I have a few few questions for you, so let's go ahead and get right into them. Mr. Free, what was your journey like from playing in the Negro Leagues to becoming the first African-American to serve on the NCAA
0: selection committee. (laughs) That's uh, quite a space, but, uh, (laughs) I got out. (laughs) Thank you for having me this morning. I, I, uh, I was fortunate to get out of the military at the end of, uh, 1958 Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be scouted by major league baseball. That was my love. I played it in the service and all. And, uh, I joined the Negro League team in 1959. Rollin Titus had a franchise with the Negro League and, and of course ended up, season ended in the, at the big Negro League East-West All-Star game in Chicago. So I played in Chicago, Comiskey Park, but I didn't get signed. And, uh, and so I was a little disappointed and I said, well, it's, Probably not, uh, scouts were there at the All-Star game, but I didn't get signed, but so I sort of thought that uh, I might be chasing a dream that might not come true. But I went to uh, uh, play with the team that Satchel Page had hooked up with. Satchel Page was trying to stay in shape, hoping mm-hmm. that a major, league, a major league team would pick him up. So he could get one more year, he needed one more year to have a complete retirement from the major leagues. So I was able to travel with him first part of 1960, and of course a new league started, and I I finally got signed professionally and ended up in the New York Mets organization. But the journey took me through four or five years of. Of, uh, minor league baseball, didn't get called up, decided to go back to college. And that was, that was the, the turning point in my career because I was able to get a job in park and recreation as an athlete director and, uh, of, uh, of, of, of District 2. And I went from that to a consultant with the state of North Carolina, which taught me how to be an executive uh, on that level. So when the MEAC decided that they they had already pulled out from the CIAA, if you're familiar with the CIAA, great conference. And, uh, great they great conference. What about that? Yes, sir, man. Uh, I used to referee basketball and football in that conference. And uh, the MEAC decided, though, uh, because of their football and whatever, uh, decided that they were gonna go Division 1. And the NCAA had come up with a subdivision called, at the time, uh, the, uh, uh, football level would be divided. So, they decided to go and realize that part-time leadership would, would not move that conference in division 1 so they decided to get a full time commissioner and uh I was able to to land in that position and uh and um uh, that's what got me in a administrative division 1 role uh after we met the compliance and then of course bringing in uh football Champion, the first, we brought in Florida and M, which was the first champion, national champion for 1AA football, the new subdivision of Division One football. Florida and M won that championship. There hadn't been a black college that win, won, uh, compete that highly in that division since. But I was How able to bring, wow. oh, they were the first 1AA championship. They beat Rhode Island in the championship in 1958. Uh, wow. uh, not 58, uh, not, uh, seven, eight, And, uh, they were the first champion. And I went after them because they were out there as an independent. And I went after them and fortunately enough, I was able to convince them to join the MIAC and they helped mm-hmm. me bring Bethune Cookman in. And they okay. basically saved the conference because I had to, uh, to uh, dismiss uh, uh, three schools from the MEAC that reneged and decided they wanted to stay Division II. So it carried us below uh, the number to be accomplished, which was six. So mm-hmm. I had a year to go out and get Florida A&M and M and Bethune Cookman. So Florida and M had won the first one 1AA championship. Fantastic uh, effort on their part. And I'm hoping that we'll get another one soon. But as a uh, As this went along, uh, I was on a committee that made brought to the attention that uh, the NCAA Division One Men's Basketball Committee had never had a black uh, member on that thing, and recommended, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, I recommended uh, uh, Jim Frank, who had been the past president. First black president of the NCAA. I recommended him to be on that committee, mm-hmm. and and so they went round and round and round, wouldn't nominate him. And the next thing they know, they nominated me. Wow! And, uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> said, no, <laughs> kid, they said no, they said Ken Free's going to be the first black on this committee. So, so that's how I got on. And and but but I realized that it wasn't. uh uh, uh, the reason that you get on that committee is you have mm-hmm. to be in Division One at a administrative level. There's no coaches on that committee. Because some okay. people thought, well, gee whiz, if you're going to put a first on there, put John Thompson, put these guys on, that they are not eligible to be on the basketball committee until they get that in the sense. athletic director. Sense. Yeah, until they get uh you know athletic director or commissioner of a conference some division one administrative level so so i didn't i, I don't like saying the first black in a vein that my color was eliminating me from that committee cuz it was not the very okay. fine committee and made but it brought to the attention and where is he? And so there was a, only about three blacks in eligible, uh, other than the conference ADs at my schools and SWAC schools, uh, you know, it, it wasn't that many in administration. Now we have a bunch of African American guys and girls and ladies, I should say, in administrative division one one positions. And so that part is taken care of, but that's how I got from the Negro league, uh, to the basketball committee. But now there's a, there's a lot of things in between that, of course, as it relates to, to, uh, championships and, uh, compliance and, 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 and taking care of the women and that kind of thing. But, uh, but uh it's not easy because you you you're competing against uh schools and teams that offer so many uh, uh outstanding features of their program. So when you asked the question about recruiting for HBCUs, did you ask that question? I think you did. But uh I I have,
1: I have asked that question. I think it was in conversations we had offline, but yeah, Yeah. like like that's what what I've wondered about. Like, how does that take place on an HBCU level? Like, I guess, Mr. Freer, because I feel like a lot of times where I see some of these young men and some women who are basketball savants or tennis savants, I mean, just extremely gifted athletes. I often wonder, I'm like, wow. Like for example, Mr. Freer, like one thing that really broke my heart was Monet Davis. Um, I remember a couple of years ago when, she was in Little League World Series and she came out and they were asked the question of where she wanted to go to college. And she said that she wanted to go to the University of Connecticut and play for the women's basketball team. And I thought to myself, just talking to my friends, I'm like, okay, this is great. I think this is extremely talented, but I think her, I feel like the question should be, we should be questioning, why is she saying that she wants to go to UConn, uh, PWI, it's not going to care for her in a way than HBCU would. So I was like, that kind of, that kind of hurt me a little bit. I was like, man, it, I thought it'd been more awesome. If she would have said, I want to go to Howard university and, and play, play baseball or basketball for them one day, or I want to go to Florida A&M or, or Spelman. So at that time it did bother me, but now I see that she's actually going to be going to uh, Hampton university in the fall. So I'm really excited about that. But, I, but like I said, my, my question is, like how, how does that take place? Why is it that some of these, these high-level recruits, do you think, are not considering HBCUs?
0: Well, I think it's it's it's, uh, it, it's because I don't think that they expose. See, we got to realize that some of these kids uh, that exist today don't hear or read about the HBCUs and what they're not uh, offering. I'm a part of a group called, uh, on the board of directors of a group called uh, HBCU, uh, Sports and Education Foundation, and we're oh trying my. to get up, we're trying to come up with a program that, called ESAP, that, that, that relates in the community, in these schools, and all to, to put black colleges on the agenda. We want to educate them to what the black colleges have to offer. So at least they can put them on the agenda, but you gotta realize this, uh, black colleges gotta do their job of getting out here and getting the information out here. See, you can, uh, one of the things that, that we have to do is to compete. Now the program that we're trying to do to help black colleges with st- students, uh, uh it it, uh, it, it depends on the, on the HBCUs to, 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 to come off those campuses and, and, and buy into it. And the name of our program is Comprehensive Preparatory Assistance Program, which is help people choose their path and include black colleges, because a lot of black colleges have a lot to offer. Uh, some students, even going back to the students that are, uh, considering trades, and technology, we've got to be able to open our doors to these kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of students. But HBC's got to do their part. But it's, it's, uh, it's interesting when you, when you look at the HBC's when I was working with them, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like in the old days, you know, most of the HBC's are in the South and in the old days, they could sit back and you go to them. Because there's nowhere else to go. And uh, okay. somehow or another, yeah. you, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, so they, what you're saying, yeah. yeah, and, and they, you, but now I don't have to go to a black school. You know, there are other schools, so the black schools have got to come out and compete for students and that type of thing. And I don't like to hear, well, you ought to. Consider a black school. No, I, no, I shouldn't. If they don't come out and recruit me and show me what they got and how I'm to benefit in the workplace when I finish four years or, or, or trade in two years or whatever. I and mean, we have to be accommodating. But, but, uh, in my leadership as commissioner and black colleges, it's very difficult. Uh, I guess they, uh, most of them that have been at black colleges, Get inside those gates, and I just think that there's there's some comfort zone there for to get out. But we're trying to help the black colleges with this program that I'm on, and uh, and uh, maybe you'll get our executive director on someday on your podcast. But uh, it's very difficult. But HBCUs, uh, I notice that they. Some of them have changed presidents five times in the last 10 years. And something is wrong when that happens because uh, a person come in to lead something and they're gone in a year or two. uh, Something's happening below. You never see anybody below uh, moving around. you are always at the top. So something is wrong. With, with that. And, uh, but we still, uh, uh, we're still trying to, trying to convince these athletes that, uh, they will matriculate better in a black school than in the big picture. Uh, sort of like a, a big fish in a small pond. But it's hard to convince because of the, the, the notoriety, the, the exposure. Uh most of the big schools have television contracts, shoe contracts, all types of perks and things that are legal. Now we are we we can use the same thing, but we don't have anybody knocking on our doors and we don't have people at our black colleges knocking on enough doors themselves. Mm-hmm. You've got to leave that campus and go out and knock on some doors. I did pretty good. When I joined, of course I had never worked at a historical black college. But I, I, uh, worked at the outside, but, so I knew how to go and get some things. But, uh, but, uh, it's, it's a serious thing because matriculation, particularly our private schools, is real low now in some of these schools. So I worry about their existence.
1: Yeah, I think you're. right. I think it's definitely. I, I've noticed just in, in just talking to some of my friends that enrollment in, in some HBCUs, like you said, have have definitely declined. And unfortunately, with the lack of students, it could you know it it could it causes less money to come in. Um, but I think mm-hmm. your answer, I think, is just awesome. It's it something like I never even thought about. Whereas you know the accountability is also on the HBCU, like it's like you said, they have to, it's a. It's a take and give and they have to give a bit more of themselves, it sounds like, as far as just putting, putting themselves out there and, 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 and trying to gain exposure
0: for themselves. Yeah. Well, I, I want to add this too. See, see, uh, I don't like to see black colleges begging for help. I'm a, I always felt and I learned before I came, became commissioner. You have to negotiate, you don't beg, you negotiate ah, I like that oh yeah you 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 know I learned that when when I was in little League, and I would go and ask for a company to sponsor these little league teams in football and basketball and baseball, and the question was, well, what's in it for me, and that's when I learned how to negotiate in other words. When I go to Miller Brewing Company and Coca-Cola back in the day, and they ask what's in it for me. Well, I I say, I got a basketball tournament. I'll give you two on the tickets. I'll give you VIP parking. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. And and then they buy into it rather than you give it to me because I'm an HBCU and I'm struggling. Up. See, I don't beg, But black colleges got a lot. If they'll give it up to sell, to negotiate with, you got naming rights to buildings. You got degrees, honorary degrees that can be available for things. You can name a basketball court. You got other things that you can negotiate with for assistance. And I think the same thing you have to do to get students. You have to sell what your value is for them to build, but if you never see a person uh or group or whatever violent for these uh position uh for the needing students, you don't see these people, but private schools have a little different situation in that its prices are very very high in most instances. And I know that some of these, uh, private black schools need to consider their tuition and, 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 the, and those programs that are available to students coming out with two year degrees and whatever in some trade or whatever. And we got to open up our, 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 our menu for, for, to, to attract more tight for students and find a way to fund those those students i I don't know whether you can drop uh, uh your tuition fees or something, but the salaries in black college private schools are unbelievable to to people who have the high degrees. It's unbelievable that they rank at historical black colleges. I think I read where they the salaries uh, average as high as they are at some of the Ivy school uh, schools. So I'm just saying we need to make some adjustments to exist, and I hope that will happen, and I hope the program that I'm working with with the uh, Black College Sports and Education Foundation that we can help remedy some of those problems. If we get more help from the HBCUs and endorsements and and assisting us to go out in these communities and inform them of what HBCUs offer. That
1: is like, well, you just have to think to me like I didn't, I've never even thought about or, or just didn't even know. Um, I just just, just thank you a lot for that. And now, Mr. Free, now, another question that I have for you is, um, recently, I don't know if you had a chance to see, but recently um, there's just been a lot of talk, it seems like, now more than ever, um, in regards to the NCAA as far as um, paying athletes. Um, And and for me personally, I, I think that, the amount of money that these young men bring into these schools, I, I do think they think that there needs to be some type of level of, of compensation to get to these young men. Now I'm not really sure as a fair way as to how you can do that. And what I mean by that is um, let's just say a young man plays football at the university of Alabama, you know, and the amount of money that that school is making just from their football program. And then you have a, a young man, let's just say at the, University of North Carolina playing football. I would think that the University of Alabama's football program is probably bringing in more money than the, let's just say, University of North Carolina's football program. So I guess it's kind of like, how do you level the, the playing field as far as as compensation? Do you know? Do you, is it just one price? Like, hey, every student athlete is going to get a one thousand dollar a month stipend, or or is it five hundred dollars? Like, how how do you make that? I guess like fair. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, my feeling is, is not going to be too popular because I don't believe you should pay them. I think they're paid. And, uh, my feeling is, uh, what education costs now at some of these schools, you should feel privileged to get a scholarship to play. And if you, and if they bring in money, That helps take care of all that beautiful travel you do, eating at the the, most of the best food and all that. They're in a luxury world and I want them to get extra education. See, my feeling is if you're going to pay an athlete, pay him when he gets his degree. In other words, when you graduate, you, we're going to give you, buy you a house or or something. We're going to give you $50,000. If you get your degree, particularly black athletes, because I'm a little concerned that when they don't make it in the pros or whatever and go to schools, go to college and and play sports and all, without a degree, they come back to my neighborhood. And we need college graduates in the black neighborhoods for these inner city kids to model themselves after, And so... I want them educated when they come back here, not dope addicts and, and, and different kind of things they pick up on the road. And so I'm a little different about that. I don't think you should pay them. They get a the luxury because you're going to have conflict when you start paying, playing, paying kids because one kid thinks his value is more than the other. How are you going to do that? Do the kids on the bench get paid that don't play? Do they get paid? I don't know. But it, I don't think that is a solution to what should happen to these kids. All these kids, I, I think it's less than two of the kids make the pros from college. So where are these kids going? What are they doing? How much money are they gonna be able to to save to exist if they don't make it to the pros? And you know, I'm, I'm just this is just my personal feeling about it. I'm not saying that I'm on top of the subject, but I just think that the way I see these athletes treated uh, back in the day, I mean, they, they live in a luxury life, man. And uh, my question is, do they go to class? Are they getting their work? And, you know, I'm worried about all the athletes, but particularly the ones that live on my side of the town. I'm tired of getting the ones that are frustrated and didn't make it and, and not contributing to the community. I need those that graduated, went on to the pros, if so, or if they didn't, they come back educated, can teach school, can coach kids, can help these young people. So I'm just uh, a little concerned that I, I may be off base, but I don't believe athletes should be paid. Not with the scholarship, the luxury travel that they do. And, uh, and, and gee whiz, I know kids going to these colleges that work two and three jobs and still study and, and matriculate. They don't have nobody taking them to work or, or nothing, but they are in college, but they waiting tables and working in, 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 in businesses and And that kind of thing and going to college. They're not they're not on television. They're not getting their tuitions paid. But they are working hard to graduate from college and struggling. And then here's a guy that wants to be paid and all of the problems is that he 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 misses by being an athlete. I mean, I'm I'm just a little different about that. I think he's being paid, and and maybe I'm wrong. But I just I just sympathize with that that student that that is trying to make it, and he's walking around with two or three jobs and still going to college, working to pay his way to school. Working the hours and going to class is very difficult because I had to do that, and so, so to hear the NCAA talking about paying athletes, I think to get a free education. But see, it ain't about it ain't about education when that happens. When you start talking about paying athletes, it's not about education. And the NCAA should be about education. I think that's what it's about. And, uh, education, and you can get it free. I think that's pay, pay enough.
1: And, you know, in, in your opinion, Mr. Free, I think, you know, there are a lot of people who, who would agree with you. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that's just like, you know, and, and, you, and you made some, some, some great points, I think. Um, you know, a, a lot of these, Athletes, like you said, they are traveling in extremely comfortable situations where they're where they're staying, and you know, uh, five-star hotels. And and some of these programs have these have these have these kids flying, you know, private jets. So, like you said, they are are getting some really good perks out of it. And I, actually, I like your idea of saying, "Hey, here's an incentive. If you graduate from here, we're going to give you another head start in life." Because not only you're going to graduate debt free with an education, but we're also going to give, you, like I said, maybe fifty thousand dollars for the purchase of a home or something like that. That's impactful because now that that gives them a leg up and, and a foundation to start somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that's that's But this, but I have to be about education and what enhances that, and 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 that's why I made those statements that I made, and and, and uh, but. You know there are people around that probably can 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 speak to that better than me about paying athletes. But but like you said, man, they 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 they, they get to see the different parts of the country on these flights and stuff. And to me, that's perks enough to play football. I just wish some um. Uh, If they had a program where they they would pay them and the money, half of the money, go to a, a fellow student that has to work all night and go to class the next morning to help them through, help pay their tuition, I'd be for it. Because I see these kids working and going to school, and then you're talking about paying an athlete. Man, that's something. And, uh, and, and at a private school, some of these tuitions are, is a whole lot of money. But, uh, some of them tuitions at some of them schools are, uh, uh, if you put all the money a student has to pay to go four years, a student been paid. But anyway, <laughs> you have my response to that question.
1: Well, Mr. Free, thank you mm. so much for your time on today. Um, I, I can't, I cannot say the word thank you enough. Um, and, and once again, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today was Mr. Ken Free Sr. And Mr. Free, like I said, thank you, sir.
0: Well, you're welcome. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm available. And thanks for what you do in getting these types of words out. I just hope that you don't. Find controversy in some of the things I say, but um, I try to be—I try to be—I try to be honest with you when you ask me a question.
1: And that—and that—that's what I want: honesty. It's very much appreciated. So, so thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and controversy—that's a good thing. Keeps people talking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, Once again, good.
1: thank you for tuning into this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to our cast that's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at the15cast and follow our host Will Chase at DubChase on Instagram.